Thank you, Daniel. Well, my name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside, and I'd like to just welcome all of you here as well this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we started a sermon series, uh, and, and the question behind it is this. What is God like? What is God like? Uh, how do we understand him? How do we see his heart? What is, what, what is God like? And we said it's really not just an abstract question, but, but I believe it's an intensely practical question that, that if we're going to experience real peace in our lives, if we're going to experience real joy in our lives, then we need to understand who God is. And we have, to, we have to know who he is, and we have to understand his heart, and so on. And so we, we started looking at the book of Isaiah and saying, you know what, Isaiah saw the Lord, and, and, and we started kind of saying it's like a diamond in all the different facets of who God is. And we started off with, with that centerpiece of Isaiah's vision that God is the Holy One. And in Isaiah 6, when, when, when Isaiah comes into God's presence, he, 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 the angels are there and they can't even look at God. And Isaiah just falls flat on his face because God is so holy. And, and God is so other, and God is so distant from us that he dwells in unapproachable light. And we said, we've got to understand, that's who God is. And then last week, we talked about God being a, a broken-hearted farmer. <laughs> we said, not only is God holy, but he's also a lover, that, that he created this world out of, out of love, like a farmer who, who nurtures a garden, and he, and he gave us so many good gifts. But we, we turned our backs on God, and it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart to see all the pain. It breaks his heart to see all the, the brokenness and, and, and all that's wrong in this world. And, and, and that our God weeps. Our God just cries over the brokenness of this world. So he's holy. He's a brokenhearted farmer. And this morning we're going to look at what I think is one of the most challenging images. And that is that God is the judge. Not only does God have a broken heart, not only does God, it's like a farmer who's just, his, his vineyard has rebelled against him and it breaks his heart, but God is also a judge who says there must be justice. There must be justice. And like I say, I think this is one of the most difficult images of, of, of God for us to deal with. You know, I, I've been in a number of your homes and so on, and, and I've seen pictures like this. I, I love to preach about... <laughs> God, Jesus, holding a lamb. I love to picture Jesus saying, you know, let the little children come to me. And I, I, I love to picture that. But you know what? I, I've never in any of your homes seen a picture of God like this. I've never seen a stained glass window that looks like this. I mean, this, this is, we don't like to think about this God. We want to say, well, no, my God would never judge. My God is loving. My God is kind. I, I mean, but, but the fact of the matter is, if we take the Bible at all seriously, and in the book of Isaiah, it is so prevalent. God is a God who judges, and that judgment is, is full of wrath, and that judgment is full of anger, and that judgment is full of destruction. I, I mean, let me just show you some of these passages, a little smattering. First from Isaiah chapter 3. The Lord takes his place in court. He rises to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment against the pastors, the elders, and the leaders of his people. So, I mean, God stands up. Isaiah says God is in court, and he stands up as the judge, and he pronounces this verdict. It is you. It is you, pastors, who have ruined my vineyard, the plunder from the pores in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. You are guilty, God says. It's not a Dale Carnegie course. Isaiah 24, this whole chapter is all about judgment. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants, and nobody's going to get out of it. It will be the same for priest as for people, for the master as for his servant, for the mistress as for her servant, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. 
The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. It's, what do we do with this? God is love, I can preach on, but God is judge. Again, further on in, in chapter 24, terror and pit and snare await you. Glad you came this morning, aren't you? People of the earth, whoever flees at the sound of terror will fall into a pit. Whoever climbs out of the pit will be caught in a snare. The floodgates of the heavens are opened. The foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder. The earth is violently shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that it falls never to rise again. Isaiah 34. The Lord is angry with all nations. His wrath is on all their armies. He will totally destroy them. He will give them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out. Their bodies, will, their dead bodies will stink. The mountains will be soaked with their blood. That's judgment. All the stars in the sky will be dissolved and the heavens rolled up like a scroll. All the starry hosts will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled, shriveled figs from the fig tree. Just one more. See the Lord, Isaiah 65, 6. See the Lord is coming with fire and his chariots are like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the, with fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people, and many will be those slain by the Lord. What do we do with this? <laughs> Honestly, I mean, what do we do with this? I, I think for some of us, we just say, I don't want to deal with that. I, I just don't want to think about that. Uh, for some of us, I, I, I think we say, well, that's the Old Testament God. That's not, that's not my God. That, that's a, I, I just like to think about Jesus. I don't like to... <laughs> Friends, read the New Testament, and Jesus is coming to judge. I mean, it's, it's just as serious about judgment. In Revelation 14, you can read about blood up to the bridles horses for hundreds and hundreds of miles. There is a theme of clear judgment throughout Scripture, and we've got to figure out, what do we do with it? What do we do with this judgment and, and, and the themes of, of God as judge? Uh, again, this is one where Tim Keller does a great job, I think, of gathering together what the church has said, what the Bible has said. And I want to say three things. Three things about God as judge that are essential for us to understand, all right? The first one is this, and, and it might sound surprising a bit, but I think deep down inside, each and every of us, each and every one of us knows that there must be a judgment day. Each and every one of us deep down wants a judgment day day. Now again, we sometimes talk as if all we want is, is for everyone to accept everyone, right? All we need is love, and, and, and why can't we just love each other, and why can't we just get along, and if, and if everybody just loves everybody, then everything will be fine, and if, and if we can just accept one another, the problem is judgment. I mean, there are so many people who would argue that the problem is judgment, but I want to say, even those people who say that, deep down, in every one of us, deep down, we want judgment, we, we need there to be a judgment day because the fact is we all know that there is something terribly wrong with this world. Let me just give you some categories. Just think of the brokenness of it. Just think of the brokenness of this world. Have you ever said, I'm so sick of volcanoes, I'm so sick of hurricanes, I'm so sick of tornadoes, I'm sick, so sick of tsunamis, I'm so sick of people being swallowed up and killed in those natural disasters? Then you've said, I want a judgment day. If you've ever gotten mad at cancer, and if you haven't, then you don't know anybody who has it. 
But I'll tell you, I don't know anybody who says, well, let's just take cancer. I mean, I think of Eunice, I think of Ben, and, and I think, well, let's just accept it. It's cancer. That does what it does. It kills, and, and we just have to all get along. No, if you, <laughs> I hate cancer, and I want God to pronounce a judgment on cancer. I want God to send cancer to hell, okay? That's, I want judgment. If you hate cancer, you want judgment day, right? understand it that if that's what judgment is it's saying no to this it's got to be gone it's just that brokenness of this world the injustice that goes on right i mean little kids i think among the first words they learned it's mommy daddy and it's not fair right i mean little kids it's not fair you didn't do this he got more she got less she did that and what do we teach our kids well no really in the end life is fair no we don't we teach our kids life is not fair, that, that it's not right, that you're going to get ripped off all the time in this life, that you're going to tell the truth and the liar is going to get the promotion, that you're going to get fired at some point for something you didn't do. And, and there's that injustice. I, I mean, when you think about people who, who are not given opportunities because of the color of their skin or because of their accent and, and the unfairness of it, and, and of people who, how many times haven't we say, I hate it, that, that because that person is wealthy, they're going to get out of it, right? You're going to hire really rich lawyers, and, and they're going to get out of it. If you've ever said that, you want judgment day, right? You want judgment day. Abuse. We want to live forever in a world where, where, where five-year-old boys are abused by people they trusted. You really want to put up with rape? Or do you say, no, this has got to stop. This is terrible. It, that's, I want a judgment day. I mean, killings. You think about the, the Holocaust. You think about the Ukraine. You think about the beheadings in the Middle East by ISIS. And what do we say? That's not fair. That's wrong. That's horrible. It's got to stop. We know that there's something wrong with this world, and we need someone who can do something about it. We want a judgment day. It needs to be stopped, and the price needs to be paid, okay? Someone needs to pay. We want a judgment day. In fact, I want to I share with you a, a part of a book. Uh, a guy by the name of Miroslav Volf um, wrote a book called Exclusion and Embrace. Miroslav Volf teaches at Yale Divinity School right now in the United States, but he was raised in Croatia. And for those of you who are old enough, you know Croatia was uh, the home of some of the most horrible atrocities that could be. Rape, murder, killing, mass graves, just horrible ethnic cleansing. And Wolf grew up there, and now he's in the States, and he's, and he's calling people in this book. He's calling people to love their enemies. But he says, the only way I can call you to love your enemies is if I also tell you that there is a God who is going to draw the sword. He says, you know what, in the West, you people who live in nice Western suburbs where the worst thing that can happen to you is that they don't have the kind of stain you want at Menards, and you get all, like, this is injustice. In the West, he says, you can say, oh, no, let's just kind of all get along. But, but he writes this. He says, imagine speaking to people as I have, whose cities and villages have been first plundered, then burned, and leveled to the ground, whose daughters and sisters have been raped, whose fathers and brothers have had their throats slit. They have seen that straight up. Your point to them, we should not retaliate. And, and he's going to ultimately say yes, but why not? This is what he wants to say. I say the only means of prohibiting violence by us is, is to insist that violence is only legitimate when it comes from God. Violence thrives today. Think about this. You know, we, we sometimes have people say, well, the reason there's violence is because you have a judgmental God. And, 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 and that's where the problem is. He says no. 
No, our only chance of stopping violence is to say, no, God will judge. It, it is to do that. Violence thrives today, secretly nourished by the belief that God refuses to take the sword. He says, and again, he knows evil and sin and brokenness better than you and I do. And he argues, and he says, you know what? We need to be able to say people who are the victims of injustice that God will bring the sword. We need a judgment day. Uh, try to think about it this way. Uh, imagine this. If, if there is no judgment day, okay? Let's just say that there's no judgment day. Three things, I think, result from not having a judgment day. This is why we need one. First of all, there's no hope for the world. There's no hope for the world, right? Like, like I said, I mean, there's no, nothing in human history that suggests we're going to get it right. There's nothing in human history that says we're going to stop killing each other. There's nothing in human history that says we're going to solve all diseases. And if there is not a judgment day, what that means is we are forever going to go on the way things are. You and I are forever going to live in a world where women are raped and men are raped, where sex slaves are bought and sold, where five-year-old boys are abused. We're going to forever live in a world where there is cancer. And if God doesn't come someday and say, enough, if God does not come someday and say, judgment, stop, it's over, I'm going to put an end to this, then it will go on forever, and I want that judgment day to come. Right? Well, there's no hope for the world. There's no reason to think it's going to get better based on human history, based on, I, I mean, you look at it, 2,700 years ago, Isaiah spoke all those words of judgment, and guess what? Morally, we are no better. The world is no closer to eternal peace because of any human efforts. Because each and every one of us is a sinner. And we are broken and we will continue to break other people. That's just what we are. There's no judgment. If there is no judgment, then there is no hope. Things will go on the way they are forever. And I, for one, say, no, I will not. I don't want that. I, it, at some point, it's got to be done at some point, God has to come back and say, enough, there's no hope for the world, but let me make it more personal. There's no hope for me. Now, I don't really, I think, suffer from low self-esteem. I, I, I like myself quite a bit. There are parts of me that I just hate. I, I, I hate sometimes the way I treat some of you. I hate sometimes the way I treat my family. I hate sometimes the way I treat people I don't even know if they don't merge into the right lane quickly enough. And I get angry and I get upset and I blow up at people and I say things. And guess what? I want to be done with that. I want to be done with that. Someday I want God to come and just, like Isaiah, touch that coal to my lips and clean me out and clean me up and make me into somebody new. Because I, I can't do it on my own. It doesn't matter how hard I try. It doesn't matter how much I, 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 I work on my own. I can't change me. And I want a new me. I need a new me. I don't want to stay this way forever. I don't want to keep failing. I don't want to keep blowing it. I need a judgment day because if there's no judgment day, there is no hope. There's also no meaning. Th think about it. If there is no judgment day, there is no meaning. On the one hand, you might say, cool, if there's no judgment, then, then everybody gets to do whatever we want. No, at the end of the day, there is no judgment day. There is no meaning because there's no right and there's no wrong. There's no good. There's no bad. There's no value, no lack of value. And there's no purpose and no point to anything. Arthur Miller, um, great playwright, death of a salesman. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not like smart enough to read this stuff on my own. But anyway, he, he wrote a play called After the Fall. And, and one of his characters is a guy by the name of Quentin. Miller is an atheist, uh, was an atheist, he died in 2005. He was an atheist, and um, 
and, and in this play, during after the fall, Quentin comes to a place where he realizes that he does not believe that there is a judge, where there is no God. And, and, and you think he might say, this is awesome. Now I can be free. But look at what he says. Look at what this character says. And, and I think you can understand it. I, I think that now my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench was empty. No judge in sight. He says, it's disaster. It's disaster. Why? Because at that moment, all that remained was the endless argument with oneself, this pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench. There's no meaning, which is, of course, another way of saying all that remained was despair. There's nothing good. There's nothing bad. I know atheists who are honest about this. And, and I got somebody I care deeply about, and he's honest about this. And he says, there is no value. There is no purpose. There is no right. There is no wrong. There is no better. There is no worse. There is no good. There is no bad. It's just the way it is, and it doesn't matter. And I said, Don't, there's no purpose to anything. It's not better to treat somebody kindly. No, because there is no judge. There is no, there is no standard. And, and I think there is no meaning. We need a judgment day. We need somebody sitting on the bench because we need meaning. We need, we need purpose, and, and there's no justice. There, there's no justice. The fact is, we have a sense that, that when something goes wrong, the scales of justice get out of balance. If you're from the United States, when you, you might have said the words hundreds of times, but we end the Pledge of Allegiance with liberty and what? Justice for all, right? Yeah, because that's what we want to have is it's justice, and if there's no, if there's no judgment day, th- then there's no basis for any short-term judgment, judgments, and, and, and there's, and it's just, there's no hope, there's no meaning, there's no justice. That's why I say there must be a judgment day, and, and, and if you don't accept that, you will be deeply depressed. I know only a few people who are honest enough to get to the de- level of depression that they will be at the honesty of saying there's, there, there must be a, that there's not a judgment day if they believe that. Now, a, a, an important word of warning to us, we are not the judge. Okay, that's where we often get it wrong. There is a judgment day, but you're not the judge, and neither am I. And, and the Bible makes that clear over and over again. Just Paul's words to the Romans, chapter 12, he says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, and this is what Wolf is talking about, but have, leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, you love. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. God says, you know what? I will take care of justice. I will take care of vengeance. I will take care of punishment and payment. You love. I'm not saying we don't have jails. But, but this is what Wolf is saying. If we're going to love enemies, then there needs to be a God who will bring a sword. The fact is, there must be a judgment day. It, without it, everything stays the same. Second point, and this might sound like it doesn't necessarily fit because it's contract. It's opposite of the first one. There cannot be a judgment day. <laughs> there cannot be a judgment day. And if you're honest, you have to conclude that. I mean, I just got done saying if there's no judgment day, there is no hope. Well, let me tell you something. If there is a judgment day, we have no hope. If there is a judgment day for each and every one of us, we have no hope because none of us are good enough. The Bible makes clear over and over again, we want justice, we want judgment, but on that judgment day, which we need to have, we are destroyed, we are wiped out, we are, we are just taken apart. A number of years ago, um, 
I'm not a big fan. I never heard the song as far as I know, but Tupac Shakur, right? Uh, Tupac wrote a song, um, Only God Will Judge Me, and apparently it became fairly popular for, uh, for tattoos. Um, only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. And, and, and I want to be careful here because there's some truth to that, right? God is the judge and, and we are not. But, but I, I'm worried that the attitude behind the song, and don't read the lyrics, they're terrible, but behind the song and behind the tattoo is sort of saying, look, only God can judge me and, and he and I are really cool because he's my homeboy. He's like my grandpa. He always forgives me and it's so cool. So only God can judge me and that's no problem. Friends, you would rather have any human being on the face of the earth judge you rather than God. Because you stand a chance of fooling somebody else. You stand a chance of fooling me. You stand a chance of fooling somebody else. And I'll tell you, God is so holy and God is so pure that none of us can stand. Only God can judge me. That's true, but that's first bad news. Because we will be undone. Again, Isaiah 6, verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. Death to me. And Isaiah was a good guy, all right? Woe to me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Uh, again, all of us are, are guilty. See, the Lord is going to wait, lay waste to the earth. We read this earlier and devastate it. Isaiah 24, he will ruin its face, scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same. For priest is for people, for the master is for his servant, for the mistress as for her servant, as for seller, as for buyer, for borrower, as for lender, for debtor, as for creditor. None of us can stand in the presence of God. He is the Holy One. We need there to be a judgment. We need it because we need to have hope. We need to have meaning. We need to have justice. But we can't stand it. You who are far away, hear what I have done. Isaiah 33. You who are near, acknowledge my power. The sinners in Zion are terrified. The trembling grips the, trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with a consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? None of us are good enough. I, I, I need a judgment day. And, and, and again, some things to, to color on this, but just think about it this way. Even people who say, well, yeah, but, but it's so arbitrary. What about people who don't know the Ten Commandments? What about people who don't know? About? The fact is, God's not even going to have to use the Ten Commandments. We don't even live up to our own standards. And, and, and think about this. A guy by the name of Francis Schaeffer, who was a, a wonderful Christian thinker in the last century. Um, Francis Schaeffer says, imagine this. Uh, and, and do this. Imagine that you, the moment you were born, God hung a tape recorder around your neck, an invisible one. Don't look for it. You can't see it. it. It's an invisible tape recorder. And this tape recorder, what it records is every time you make a moral statement. Every time you say, that's outrageous. Every time you say, that's wrong. Every time you say, nobody should do that. Every time you say, that's unfair. It records every judgment you make. Every time you say something is good or bad, right or wrong, and, and Schaefer says, you know what God could do on, on, if he has that? On judgment day, you know what God can do? All he has to do is this. Suppose then that God simply touched the tape recorder button and each person heard played out in his own words all those statements by which he had bound other men in moral judgment. God's not going to have to say, here are the Ten Commandments you broke 7 through, 12, 7 through 10, you know. Uh, no, God's just going to say, here are your words. This is what you said a person needs to live like. This is how you are called to live. This is your own judgment. Now, how'd you do? Then God would simply say to the man, even if he had never read the Bible, now where do you stand in the light of your own moral judgments? Think about it. 
Think of the moral judgments you've made about others in the last week. Can you live up to your own standards? Can you live up to your own expectations? The times where you've been angry that somebody did this, the times when you've been hurt that somebody did that. Are you willing to say, God, just judge me according to my standards? We're all dead. We are all absolutely dead. We don't even live up to our own standards. Who of us can dwell with a consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? There cannot be a judgment day. There must be a judgment day. We cannot stand without one. There cannot be a judgment day. We cannot stand with one. And this is where Jesus comes in. Because the third thing we need to say is that in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, we have already had our judgment day. It's the only way to get out of this, friends. It's the only way to get out of our conundrum. It's the only way for God to get out of this situation. Because the holy judge has a broken heart. The holy judge, who is absolutely pure, uh, with whom no sin can dwell, with whom no darkness can enter his presence, that holy judge has a broken heart. And he knows he needs to bring judgment, but he knows that he will destroy his garden. He will destroy each and every one of us. He will destroy us when he brings judgment, unless, unless he brings judgment and puts it on somebody else. And this is the Gospel 101. The Holy Judge sends his son to take our place. And, and if you want to know why Christians get, I mean, the songs that we sang this morning, Kevin did a great job of, of picking them out and of, and of just saying, Jesus, Son of God, let every, you know, you are higher than any other name. The cross was enough because what happens on the cross is that God takes all of that judgment, God takes all of that blood, God takes all of that pain and all of that suffering, and he pours it out on the only one who can take it for all of us, and that is Son, Jesus Christ. And what's going on there on the cross is this unbelievable thing where all of God's wrath all of God's all of God's judgment all of the justice of eternity of the universe is getting poured out onto Jesus Christ and his blood is flowing in fact in some ways I want to challenge you you know we come to these passages on judgment and we're kind of tempted to pass them by I don't think we understand the cross until we really let ourselves be overwhelmed their slain will be thrown out their dead bodies will stink the mountains will be soaked with their blood. Friends, I mean, again, like I say, in Revelation, hundreds of miles of rivers of blood. That's what is required for justice, and that is what Jesus paid. We will never understand how amazing Jesus is. We will never understand the amazing cross, amazing grace, how wonderful it is until we understand just how deep the need for judgment goes. And we're going to look at this passage more in, in a couple of weeks. But, but Isaiah 53, Isaiah sees Jesus. And he says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We need a judgment day. We cannot stand a judgment day. And our only option is to hide ourselves in Christ. Our only option is to hide ourselves in Christ. And he opens his arms to each and every one of us. If we understand this, this means, this means that first I can be honest about my sin. Two things here. I can be honest about my sin. I don't have to try to pretend I'm better. I don't have to try to pretend I'm not deserving of judgment. I can be absolutely, completely humble and honest about my own sin. But at the same time, at the same time, I can be deeply confident about the future. 
I, I can have complete confidence about the future. In, in some ways, I was talking with a group of folks this week, and, and we were talking about, you know, do we in, in, in the United States as Christians or even as not, do we think too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves? What do you think? Is our self-esteem level in this church too high or too low? I want to say yes. It's both. Because if we understand God as judge, if we understand what Jesus Christ did, I, I think helps me to see that I am worse than I ever thought. When I realize the holiness of God, I must realize I am worse than I ever thought. But seeing what God did makes me realize I am more loved than I could ever imagine. And, and I think that's, that's what it means to see ourselves through Jesus Christ. And it's okay. I, I don't hate myself because I'm worse than I ever thought. It humbles me. Because I am more loved than I ever could imagine. I am more deeply cared for than I could ever imagine. And so I can just learn to love you. And I can just learn to leave it in God's hands. And you know what? I can pray with all of my heart that all of my enemies get the same punishment I got. That through Christ they experience God's grace. See, I can only pray for my enemies if I remember that I was an enemy of God. And God took out the punishment on Jesus. And I can just say, God, thank you. The effect is, you are, you are much worse than you ever can imagine. And you are much greater than you ever could imagine. And you are more loved than you could ever imagine. God is the Holy One. He is the brokenhearted farmer. And out of that pain, he comes to judge. And, 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 and I, this is just Christianity 101 but we'll never understand this. We need to hide ourselves in Jesus. For those of you who say, I I'm too bad, I can't be hidden in Jesus, let me tell you, his arms are open up to any of us. His arms are open up enough to any of us, and none of us have sinned so much that he does not welcome us, and he will not cover us as, as God's wrath is poured out on the cross. You are valuable enough to come to Christ and for those of you who think well I don't need that then I say please don't kid yourselves God is a judge and I am so thankful that someday all things will be made new but I can only be that because of the unbelievable gift of Jesus and so next week we start Advent and we know what it is to say come Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we want you to judge everybody else. We want you to stop all the bad, but we, we can't ask you to do that without asking you to judge ourselves. So thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. As we get ready to celebrate his birth, help us to see how much we need him and the great joy that he brings to us. And Lord, we pray that every person, every person will come to hide themselves in Jesus so that you will make all of us new in him. Give us a passion for those right now who are outside of Jesus because that judgment day is coming and they don't deserve it any more than we do or we deserve it as much as they do. 
Lord, may our friends, family members, and neighbors hide themselves in Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of blessing? Once again, following our service, there are going to be some folks in the prayer room. Feel free to give us those words of thanksgiving. People of God, now as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And may we know that we have already been judged in Jesus Christ. And we are accepted and loved and forgiven. Go in God's grace. Amen.